This podcast is brought to you by Mad Company, a nonprofit theater company based out of New York City. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining us. My name is James Hale. I'm the executive director of Mad Company and your host for today's podcast. With me today is the wonderful, brilliant, and amazing Lauren Zabilski, our artistic director and a working actor. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much. That is very high praise. Thank you. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, I'm going to make you redo it. I might record another one. It's terrifying. And then left, <laughs> left it behind. We're tired. Right, and we're back after that exciting interruption. What next season will hold? <laughs> My name is James Hale. So before we dive into sort of some specific questions I have, I was wondering if you, in your own words, could just sort of chart the journey from working actor creative to artistic director of what some people have said is the most exciting new arts company in the world. Yeah, I have heard that as well. I mean, honestly, sometimes it feels a little bit like stumbling around in the dark, this journey, but I have been studying Shakespeare and the classics and theater in general, really actually since before college, and have been working pretty steadily as an actor since that time with a few intermittent hiatuses to go back to school for graduate school and a few other things. But yeah, when I first came to New York, which was going on two years ago, one of the most exciting things about being here is that, and you can attest to this as well as an alumni of Lambda, but there was kind of a built-in community right off the bat of a group of us that had all moved here after graduate school. And conversations in the beginning looked like, how can we continue to work together? How can we put up a production or right. do more staged readings or something of the like? And then very quickly started to evolve into, well, if we wanted this project to have an actual life, wanted it to have longevity, maybe it makes more sense to actually try to start a theater company, hence discussions about nonprofits and all of that, which I'm sure we'll yeah. get into. And the two of us were sort of at the helm of that for a while. And I think both recognized that maybe we were suited to the roles that we eventually took on. So hence now I am technically the artistic director <laughs> of this company, which even saying out loud now seems a little bit crazy and yet also feels like it's been a path in the works for a really long time, sure. just kind of given the trajectory of what I love and what I'm passionate about. Yeah, well, I mean, the the qualifications you brought to the table are certainly excellent. Oh, um, and so speaking of that, I'd like to dive in. I have your resume here in front of us, <laughs> um, which is quite impressive. Thank you. A lot of Shakespeare credits. I'd like to start, though, you went to SMU and then later Lambda. And yeah. I'm curious why Southern Methodist? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Um, the short answer is sort of luck, actually. <laughs> I sure. I knew by about my junior year of high school that I really wanted to study theater in some capacity when I went to college. Mm -hmm. And my parents were very supportive, thankfully, but were also understandably very ignorant about what that was going to look like, as neither of them are self-professed creatives. And so when it came to applying to schools... I sort of a little bit felt like I was just kind of throwing paint at the wall. Sure. There were certain things I knew I wasn't looking for and certain locations, to be honest, at that point, at like 17 years old, the idea of moving to a city like New York terrified me. Yep. So that took a couple of things out of the equation right away. But what actually ended up happening, I was in a huge joint audition for several universities at the same time. Huh. And SMU at to be honest, wasn't even necessarily on my radar. But one of the representatives from the school after my audition approached me, asked me a few questions about what I was looking for in a program and was like, you know, 
I really think you should consider our program. Wow. Come down to Dallas for a weekend. We'll give you a tour. You can sit in on some classes. And if it's the right fit, we would love to have you. And actually, cool. in a beautiful twist of fate that would come to have a lot more meaning several years later, I was sitting in on a Shakespeare class <laughs> with a wonderful professor who was the head of acting at the time. His name is Michael Connolly. And he totally changed my life. But he was teaching this class with a group of seniors. They were doing a scene from Twelfth Night. And I remember just f feeling things I'd never felt before in this class when it came wow. to what I was watching, when it came to the way he was directing and teaching. And I just remember leaving that class and thinking, I want to work with him and I want to do what mm. they're doing. That was kind of it. Sure. And then I decided that I was going to go to SMU and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And yeah, and still feels wow. kind of like fate or luck because I had no idea what I was doing. Right, how the stars have to align for <laughs> yeah. that. So that's interesting. So it was almost like a unified audition for yeah. universities. I've never heard of that. Exactly. Really... Yeah, they do them all over the country. This one was in Denver, and there were a few other schools in particular that I really had my sights set on at the mm -hmm. time, which are wonderful programs, but in hindsight, I'm so glad that things worked out the way <laughs> sure. that they did. Yeah, It happened the way it had to happen. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's crazy that that just sort of <laughs> fell into your pocket. Yeah. Um, so from there... After SMU and Michael Conley, who's all over your resume here, um, <laughs> and all these shows, transitioning to L.A. Yeah. makes a lot of sense as an yeah. actor. Um, you were there for three or four years? Actually, like no, that? I was over there over five. Oh, wow. I, okay. Yeah, and Los Angeles was wonderful. It's a city that I love dearly. It means a lot of things to a lot of people. But, yeah, I went to L.A., it was kind of the natural progression after theater school. You either went to L.A. or New York or You're maybe right. Chicago. And and I'd originally fallen in love with acting because I love film and television. And so I kind of thought, OK, L.A. makes sense. I'll go to Los Angeles. Right. And it was wonderful. And I and I was able to do some really cool projects, film and television related and a lot of commercial work, actually. But I kept finding myself going back to theater and specifically classical theater, which while there are some incredible institutions for mm -hmm. that in Los Angeles, it's definitely not what the city is known for. And I'll never forget chatting with a friend actually about classical graduate programs. And she mentioned a few, including Lambda. And I remember going home that night and spending like three hours on my laptop looking up all these different programs and then slamming my laptop shut at the end thinking, what What am I doing? Right. Why, why would I go back to graduate school and for classical? I live in Los Angeles. Like, put me on a pilot or yeah. a TV, you know, but I think that was the beginning of that next chapter of realizing that actually maybe it was time for a little bit of a redirect career-wise. Yeah, there's, there's another thing that can happen. Yeah. And that's yeah. interesting. I feel like so many, especially people who are attracted to acting young, come through it through film and television. Absolutely. I mean, how many people are lucky enough to be able to see enough shows right. on the stage that yeah. they think that's what I want to do. It's usually my favorite TV show, my favorite movie. Exactly. Whatever that is. So LA totally makes sense to me. Yeah. You eventually did come to Lambda. I did. Which we are super grateful for. <laughs> um, Thanks. So you mentioned that, and again, all over your resume, all these classical shows, what is it about Shakespeare or classical work mm. in general that really keeps you coming back over and over again? Oh, the ultimate, that is the question. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there are a million answers that would all ring true for me, but the two big ones that always stick out, the first is the language. It is, for the most part, unlike anything else I ever experience as an actor, which is not to say that there are not other incredible playwrights and writers. But I think it's such a luxury, if I'm being honest, as an actor, that when you have questions about 
the text that you can always go back to the text to find those answers to that because right. sometimes that is not that's just not the case the language is incredible it feels sometimes like a puzzle to me and it's always intriguing to try to put the pieces together and yet within that puzzle exists like thousands of different interpretations which is incredibly invigorating as an actor and then the other thing as cheesy as it sounds is that I don't know if there's any more timeless perfect example of of a writer whether you believe it was Shakespeare or several writers <laughs> well, we won't or, get into that right That's exactly true. I think it was one person but it rarely that is able to tap into the human experience mm. in such a varied and yet simultaneously timeless capacity. I mean, these are stories that we're telling over 400 years later for a reason. It is the human experience, whether it is love, whether it is jealousy, whether it is family. Some of the greatest things on television, some of the greatest films we see are inspired directly from these stories. And I never want to stop. I mean, even when you do a play, the first thing I'm often thinking is like, when am I going to get to come back and do this play again? Because yeah. I know just like how they say, you don't read a book, a book reads you. I feel the same way about Shakespeare. I'm like, oh, the way I would approach this role or this play at 20 is going to be different. At 30 is going to be different at 50, at 70. So it never loses its appeal. It feels like a mountain that you're never going to reach the top of, but the journey is the most exciting part. Sure. I would say I did not love Shakespeare mm -hmm. until I experienced him as an actor. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is true of so many people. Yep. Um, it feels from the outside as a reader um, or even sometimes as an audience member, it feels sort of unapproachable and yeah. you don't understand what's happening. It feels like there's so much going on that you aren't clued into Yeah. that until you experience it as an actor and have to speak those words, you can never know really the depth and the richness of that writing. Absolutely. Um, and those characters and those stories. But I'm interested. So we... Our first ever production was Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Uh, you played a fabulous gender-bent Mercutio. Thank you very um, much. To great acclaim. <laughs> and I guess this was not the original question I was going to mm. ask, but I'm interested if your experience working with Mercutio has informed what types of Shakespearean roles you're interested in pursuing in the immediate future and the longer term. Absolutely. What are your thoughts? I think actually even more so than interest, it has given me perhaps a little bit more of the confidence slash permission mm. to be interested in okay. certain roles that I had perhaps told myself, oh, I don't know if that's a possibility or, I mean, Mercutio, it's funny, every time I finish a play, almost every time, I'm like, maybe this is my new favorite Shakespeare. I think it is. I think this might be the this best the play in the canon or this might be the best character I've ever played. But I have a sneaking suspicion that with Mercutio, I think that feeling will last actually beyond the production. It's such an incredible role. It's such a mysterious role in a lot of ways, which is really exciting. But it also, I feel like the character leans into a lot of facets of the human personality that we are often told to tamper down or to dial down, sure. especially as a woman. And so mm. getting to play a character that feels so uninhibited is not only incredibly exciting, but it's so much fun. And so then with that, it's made me think about other characters in the canon that might not necessarily exhibit the same personality, but absolutely that that lean into things that I in the past as an actor have not gotten to explore as much. I mean, the character that always is at the top of the list and has been my entire career, and it's not surprising because it's everybody's, but is is Hamlet. And I was surprised with Mercutio how many times I was thinking about 
the character of Hamlet. I find that all the time in the canon. It's so fascinating, all the little lines that you can draw from character to character and play to play. But yeah, some of these larger than life questions and and like I said, just complete uh, freedom is such a gift. And I don't know, it, it, it does. It. Long story short, I feel like it gives permission to explore other characters and roles that I would have otherwise shut myself off from. Huh. Well, I'm glad yeah. you've given yourself permission because if Mercutio <laughs> is any any uh, indication, I would love to see you as a Hamlet. Oh, thank um, you. But Romeo and Juliet, our first ever production yeah. as a company, Mad Company, very, very new. You are a member of the board. Yep. You're currently the secretary. You are the artistic director. You're also a founding member. I'm curious, when we started this a year ago, and you yeah. talked a little bit about that journey, what was your goal for this group? What was like the very maximum you thought we could do and what was the bare minimum you were hoping to achieve? Ooh, those are good questions. I mean, so I'll start with the goal. I think the goal initially for a lot of us and myself included was the opportunity to get to work together again. Right. It was such a luxury in school to be among so many other gifted artists and so many equally passionate artists. And I think a lot of us at the time were really craving an experience like that again in New York. So I thought, oh, this would be great if we can put up a production and we all get to work together again and then, of course, other things pop into your head. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if it's seen by X, Y, and Z <laughs> right. or it turns into A, B, and C? Pad for, exactly, yeah. exactly. But then as time has gone on and this has continued to grow, I would say actually I it feels in a lot of ways like the sky is the limit, which is mm. incredible, especially when I'm in the company of such equally passionate, motivated, incredibly talented people, but also just being able to connect with other people in this incredible city that houses so many artists and creatives. It's a wonderful way to develop a huge community, to be able to create things together, to talk about things, to be able to bring it to different communities within the city. I don't know. It feels kind of like the sky is the limit. The education, the, yeah. the educational aspect of, of a nonprofit theater company is really exciting to me. So I think it's going to probably just continue to morph and transition in the years ahead, it'll be interesting to ask this question again or answer this question in like two, three years sure. and see like what we kind of, you know, spend a lot of our time and interests on. But I'm sort of just excited about all of it. Yeah. Really. You know, we do one thing and suddenly that opens up new avenues or we don't meet an expectation and say, OK, we can pivot away or we can right. try again. I don't know how I would answer that question because <laughs> it feels like it is always changing. Yeah. I'm interested, though. You and I spoke on the phone yesterday and we yeah. had... A conversation kind of touching on how our two jobs as executive director and artistic director, how they work together yeah. um, and where the boundaries are between our roles. And so I'm curious, in light of that conversation or not, yeah. um, just what do you feel your job as artistic director really entails? Oh. <laughs> what, is, what does that feel like to you? That is an excellent question. I feel like ultimately it is about the creative direction of the company, mm. whether that is, you know, picking a season, picking a theme for the season, but then also who we bring on as collaborators, the people that we work with as designers, as directors, as actors. In a sense, yeah, I guess it starts to feel like whatever the, the creative cultural identity of the company becomes, oh, saying that out loud, suddenly I feel like so much pressure because it's, <laughs> it's really a lot, significant. Yeah. Right, it's a lot of weight to put on yourself. It is, it is. But it's also incredibly exciting because, like I said, being in a city like New York where it feels like your options are limitless in terms of creative collaborators and opportunities, like, wow, there are few, it feels like there are a few better places to be doing something like this. And But I think it also being very cognizant of, of how things will 
change and grow and that that an identity can change. So whether that's the identity of the company or the mission of the company and the types of creative collaborations we have that I think that will evolve over time. I venture, you know, anything that stays stagnant eventually right. dies. Right. So, so I think that will be the exciting and potentially really challenging thing is trying to stay like very up to speed with what that looks like and feels yeah. like. Continuous reinvention. Yeah, 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 exactly. I remember early on in this process, thinking about how challenging for, for my job, the economics of live theater is. Yes. But I remember two of the really best things that we did for ourselves was we started this group with a lot of company members with yep. a varied skill set. And we did it in New York City, which is one of the few places in the world that live theater is a viable industry. Absolutely. Um, so all these challenges from the executive director chair thinking about strength of an organization and its financials and its administrative side. Yeah. Being in New York City is a huge plus. And I'm sure as artistic director, thinking about the avenues that we can explore within a mile of where we're sitting right now. Absolutely. It must be really exciting. Well, that you can like strike up a conversation with somebody on the subway or at a <laughs> coffee and, th and that it's A, that they don't look at you like you're crazy or an alien for, <laughs> for saying you do what you do or that that is your passion. But then also that, yeah, that everybody has some kind of relationship to that, whether it's as a viewer, whether mm. it's as a fellow creative, whether it's uh, from a more cerebral perspective, which is really exciting. Yeah, it, it feels like the city is buzzing all the time with that right. kind of energy so it's it's hard not to let that into your yeah. your own your own yeah. world it does as hard as it can be living in the city it constantly feels like anything is possible yes in generally the best way <laughs> right. sometimes the worst Some, exactly but yes. so it goes um yeah. but thinking about the sort of endless opportunities that we have is there we we have not released you and i have not had any conversations about what next season will hold, yeah. what future seasons will hold. Are there any teasers you can give us about where you're thinking or the directions you're thinking about heading Yeah, in? yeah. I have a few ideas right now and a few in particular that feel especially exciting. I think the best teaser I can give is that I'm leaning a little bit more towards uh, comedy, which is exciting. Okay. Um, I mean, it was so much fun to work on a play like Romeo and Juliet. We talked about this in the rehearsal room perhaps ad nauseum, but I thought it was so helpful with the production. Romeo and Juliet, I think, should be approached as a comedy until mm. it is very apparently not a comedy anymore. The turn. Um, yes, exactly. Because I think a lot of times it's approached from go as like, you know, the ending to this story and it's going to be, you know, just <laughs> just a we slog how, right. to get I there mean, the, a little bit. The first four lines, we right. know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly. Um, and so, but it was so fun to get to approach that first half as a comedy and live in that world. And anyway, all that to say, it has definitely given me a lot of thoughts and inspiration about other plays with some similar themes when it comes to uh, the more comedic sensibilities sure. of the canon. So yeah, that's that's in terms of like a classical perspective. But we've had conversations in the past, you know, about like a variety of work. I mean, obviously, I'm very partial to Shakespeare for all the reasons I've listed, but there are so many incredible playwrights that I can either envision company members being a part of some of those worlds or mm. I would be so fascinated to see what we would do with them. So, yeah, lots of ideas, but I'll say <laughs> comedy. comedy. Comedy, I'll say is Broadly comedy. Right. Yeah, well, that's yeah. going to be hard to parse out exactly what you're thinking right, from. Right, right. Um, <laughs> So I'm curious, actually, you just mentioned thinking about specifically company members or specifically us and what we can do for a show. Sure. Is that something that you consider when thinking about 
a future production is exactly who we have sort of on our roster, who we think we can find through our social networks, who we can cast. I guess what priority is that or how important is that to your thought process Mm. versus just quality of the work or something that you'd like to see done? Yeah, I feel like they all have to kind of work in tandem with each other. So it mm. is it is important. I mean, especially when I'm getting to see a lot of our company members working right. on a somewhat regular basis, it would be impossible not to occasionally have thoughts of, oh my gosh, so-and-so would make such an excellent, I, I don't, literally every character that popped into all my head, them. I was like, no, I'm not going to listen to it, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> we'll say false staff, like who knows? But so yeah, that is a huge consideration and has definitely, it's funny, I would say the different plays that are currently percolating in my head have all kind of come about for different reasons. So a couple of them, it's because there are company members that I'm like, oh, so-and-so would make an excellent X, Y, or Z. But then there are other things that I'm just like, gosh, that is such a fantastic play. And I would love to see what we could do with it. And also what that means in terms of bringing people, bringing new artists and creatives into the fold and putting it all together from the ground up. I would say it's like a, a pretty... A heavily or a fairly large consideration at this moment. That's, sure. that's what I'll say. What, yeah. what other considerations would you say are top of your priority list? Um, definitely like what the what the play says, mm. you know, or its relevancy. It's I, I guess because I've been speaking so much about Shakespeare, I'll just continue with that. Sure. But it's it's always interesting to me to like keep an eye on a lot of the regional theaters around, in our case, the United States, and you'll see different plays kind of go in and out of vogue, and it's very usually it's very clear why you know Mm. i mean around election cycles you'll suddenly start seeing a ton of julius caesar you know or oh my gosh in recent years with the success of tv shows like succession i feel like i'm seeing king King lear Lear everywhere everywhere, you know so Macbeth a couple of years ago like so um so sometimes yeah it's a lot about like what does this speak to right Mm. now as a national zeitgeist yeah, yeah exactly exactly because some there are certain ones that that sometimes right away you're like i don't know Sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes it's not, but certain plays might just feel like, oh, it's a great play, but now's not the right time for it. Sure. Mm-hmm. We actually, we had that experience. The show that we wanted to do first was yeah. a, a modern work and we were super excited about it in, I guess, the summer, fall of 2022. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up putting our show up in the spring of 2023. And by the time that happened, due to, to my mind, mostly some Supreme Court rulings, yep. it felt like that play was no longer exactly what we wanted to talk about at all. Right, right. And and which is like such another fascinating avenue to have to explore as a company, because when you get into all the, the nitty gritty of what it takes to like acquire the rights to something and to put together a season, sometimes, you know, well over a year right. in advance, and that can be a little bit. Window, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think that happened. Like I, in hindsight, am really grateful that things worked out the way that they did, because yeah, as no, we've same. discussed, I don't think while it's an incredible play, I don't think it would have had the same impact that we thought it would over a year right. in advance. So a few little extra time questions here. Yeah. Um, Do you have a single favorite role that you've ever played? I mean, maybe Mercutio, actually. Wow, okay. To be able to do something that felt like it was out of the norm, out of the quote-unquote wheelhouse that both I as an actor and other people have put me in before. I might also be saying that because it's obviously the closest to me in in like time. Sure, right. and, but it was pretty amazing. But there are so many. I, I loved, I played Goneril in King Lear, which was like an incredible role. And I feel like Goneril is a deeply misunderstood character. And I felt like yeah. fiercely defensive by the end of that production. Yeah, there, there, there are so many. It's really hard. 
that now that I'm talking out loud, I'm like, oh, it could be this it could or be, it could right. be this. Yeah. Well, I didn't, we'll I didn't expect there to be a single. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the one. Obvious. That would, be, that would yeah. be insane. You mentioned earlier your interest in acting came through film and television. Yeah. What was it about either those mediums, that media in particular, or the thought of being an actor that really made you want to pursue that? I, it's just fascinating to walk in somebody else's shoes. I remember there was like a period of time when I was in middle school where I briefly questioned if I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I realized that it, it was actually I just wanted to play a lawyer. <laughs> you that, to be a lawyer. Yeah, I was just watching all these TV shows about lawyers and I truthfully have, have a lot of respect. I have a lot of friends that are lawyers, a lot of respect for the profession, but I have no interest in going to law <laughs> not, school or doing anything. But yeah, it's it's just what greater gift can there be than to like get to explore all these different personalities and you get to turn down the dial or turn up the dial on on so many things that are already within yourself it's just not how you operate on a day-to-day right. basis um that's beautiful yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't want to do anything else <laughs> and nor do you have to yeah yeah however <laughs> however if let's think for a moment that you weren't an actor slash artist slash creative what would you be doing um probably something with animals uh, but then every time I say that, I, I obviously I think of like a veterinarian and I'm like, oh, I don't I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I would want to go into like the medical side of it. Mm. But I don't know. So maybe something with animals or. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely not a lawyer. I know that. No, no, I know, I know, the, I know that one thing off the list. at least. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. important. <laughs> so Mad Company is getting into our sort of education programming this year. Yeah. We're going to be offering classes, workshops. You may not have thought of this. If you have, what are some things that you would be interested in leading as a one-off workshop or a, a continuing class? Oh, man. Um, there's actually a lot of things. I mean, I, I love monologue or scene study from, from Shakespeare or, or other classical texts. Also, scansion and rhetoric. It's super nerdy. Some people find it as boring as possible. I love it. I think it, like I said, I think earlier, it feels like a puzzle. I've always had professors and educators tell me, and I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly, that the only way you can actually break the rules is if you know what all of the rules are. And I feel like scansion and rhetoric when it comes to classical text, that unlocks the whole the whole shebang. So if you are great at those things, there's there's like no limit to what you can do with the text, which is right. really exciting. And that's what it all comes back to with yeah. Shakespeare or really anything. Yeah. Are there actors either on stage or on screen that you feel you most appreciate their work? I'm thinking especially classically. Um, oh. Is there anyone, are there any particularly fabulous performances you've seen or heard of from from working actors today? Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of, I mean, I it's so funny. I, I always go back to, and I'll, I'll add the caveat, which is not to undermine his work, but as I said earlier, I think so much of, so much of why a performance resounds with you is where you are at in your life at the time. But I, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to study abroad uh, for a semester in Oxford. And mm -hmm. on the weekends, we would go into the city, into London and see shows. And I saw Jude Law in a production of Hamlet that honestly changed my life. Wow. It was, uh, I understood, not only did I understand every word of the text, but it just felt, it felt like such a liberated performance. And, and I've thought about it many times since because I wonder if I would have the same level of appreciation for it now. But then I, then I also feel like it doesn't really matter. It just, it had such a profound effect right. at the time. time and place, yeah. And it was, and it was wonderful. And it's, it's stayed with me ever since. But I, I've had the immense good luck to see Ian McKellen a couple of times. Mm -hmm on stage and and he is 
a force to be reckoned with, even in his, I believe, 80s at this point. Wow. And and then there's so many other actors. I, I love Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. I've never had the opportunity to see her do Shakespeare or classical work, but I think she's a brilliant actress. And I mean, of course, Meryl Streep and all of those, you know, but right. the Titans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now I'm going to be thinking about this all day. I feel like right. actually I'll have I'll have some really good answers by like late tonight. But, Excellent. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll tape the show again. Right, you can, right. You can give an answer. <laughs> so we've talked about some full scale productions, full scale for Mad Company anyways, and our education arm. I'm curious, is there anything in Mad Company programming that is coming down the pipe or you would like to start doing that you're particularly excited about? In terms of education? In terms of anything. Oh. Education, other projects, other yeah. smaller scale, larger scale. Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually really excited about just doing more readings of mm. plays, whether they're, they're very intimate and it's literally for the purposes of the actors involved and you run out of space and you all get together and you read a play out loud, which we've gotten to do before, yep. or whether it turns into like an actual staged reading. But there are, there are just so many incredible plays that I have never read or never heard of or I think it was kind of a refreshing wake-up call when I first came to New York because I'd been in such a classical theater bubble for a couple of years and I love that bubble and I'm happy to stay in it for as long as necessary (laughs) but I got into a couple of acting classes where I was being exposed to a lot of contemporary work again Mm -hmm. and I felt like it had been years since I'd read Mm. some of the more contemporary plays of like the last 10 to 15 years and I was seeing scenes from things that kind of blew my mind like what is this and who is this playwright so um anyway all that to say yeah I would just love to organize and facilitate more opportunities like that for other because I also think it's a great way to grow community and to get to meet more people and bring people into the fold so that really excites me absolutely are there any not to put you on the spot can you name (laughs) any of these modern playwrights that you're particularly excited by their work the last 10 20 years oh my gosh I mean I think Will Arbery is is an incredible incredible writer and is now I think an executive producer on Succession which ties everything together in this conversation Um, yeah yeah I also Brandon Jacob Jenkins Mm. is phenomenal I like a lot of what Kate Hamill is doing in terms of these like interesting wacky adaptations of classics like Pride and Prejudice and Emma and Sense and Sensibility because they're books that have been in our our canon for for hundreds of years but giving them this kind of like wacky unique fun approach that that revitalizes them right, in a new the way. Reinvigoration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are a few, yeah, off the top of my head. But uh, again, there are so many uh, incredible, yeah, incredible playwrights right now. Do you, I actually don't know how to phrase this question. <laughs> so you, you're wearing a bunch of hats right now, artistic director and actor sort of primarily. Yeah. Um, which do you feel has the bigger draw for you at this moment? Are you more excited about the potential work as an actor in New York that Mm. you can get into? Or are you more excited by the possibilities that being executive, or sorry, artistic director (laughs) affords you? I'm going to take your job. Um, One day you shall. (laughs) I would say it's kind of 50-50. Like, it kind of depends on the day and the experience and, like, what is right in front of me. Because I'd be lying if I didn't say that I have always been an actor first, Mm. meaning that that is what motivates me. That's what excites me. Um, But as an artistic director and getting to getting to kind of like mold a, how do I say, like, it's not about molding a community, but getting to create this kind of like artistic creative incubator Mm. and sort of figure out what the identity of that is, is 
is incredible is like is like such a it's it's very humbling actually is what it is because it's terrifying um <laughs> and you're like nah, sure. I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I can do this but what that what that allows a group of people to do together is is I would say like ultimately really what it's all about is really beautiful I, that's the beautiful thing about theater I mean and I'm sure you can argue the same thing for film and television as well but like it's it, it's it takes a village like it's right. a whole group of people doing it together so yeah to not only get to be in, involved in that but also kind of at the head of that is is really exciting yeah I know for myself whenever I get sort of frustrated with all of the work I'm doing that I don't really want to be doing but yeah. have to because of this position I remind myself that it is such a luxury to have even a modicum of control over yes. sort of the creative future. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because as actors, so often we are told and it is reinforced that you are on a path that is moderated by gatekeepers. Right. And like you'll get to one step of your career and then you have to get Break through, through that. Yeah. Time, right? And that it is. Wow. It is rough. It's exhausting. It, it can really wear heavily sometimes on your soul, on your creativity. Yeah. So I couldn't agree more to have even the tiniest bit of what feels like control or, or power or agenda for yourself as an artist is amazing, is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels good. And yeah. hopefully we'll continue to feel good as we continue <laughs> to do this more. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for yeah. joining us today. Lauren Zabilski, thank the you. wonderful, the brilliant Aww. artistic director of Mad Company. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you all for joining in and listening. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To learn more about any of the creatives who spoke in this episode, check out their social media links in the episode description.